0: This week's episode is brought to you by Return Home, my brand new audio drama podcast. It's about this guy, Jonathan Barker, who returns to his hometown of Melancholy Falls, New Jersey after being away for five years. Now, at this point, we released a bunch of episodes, and we just released our our amazing holiday spectacular. So give it a listen. You can find it wherever podcasts are found by searching for Return Home or going online at returnhomepodcast.com.
1: And welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins.
0: I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And you officially have, like, by the time this comes out, one, two, maybe four days left to leave us a voicemail on the goat line before mm-hmm. the final episode. Um, it's 424-785-4628, and we have a lot. I'm going to cut exactly. them down a little bit. we can use more. Uh, we could always use more, of course, but I am going to yeah. cut them down uh, for our super size finale episode. Um, oh, you got to speed them all up so they sound like the chipmunks. Speed them up and then play them all at the same time on top of that. Ooh. So, you know, well, it's that's a great it, idea. It's a 60 second uh, voicemail break. And that's <laughs> 60 about it. second voicemail break. Really meaning it's about four minutes, but still. Four minutes is being very generous. It's yeah, definitely going to be more than four minutes. It is, it is. So. But that's All okay. Right. We want to show our love for you guys <laughs> because you show it for us. Um, exactly. Having that said, let's go to the history. It's time for the History. So two weeks ago, we got distracted a little bit by the holiday episode. But two weeks ago, we started our look at the Lagoon Amusement Park. And we ended when the park closed during World War II uh, for two seasons, mainly due to shortages and rationing. And after the war, uh, Lagoon would see major changes that probably saved it and then also prepared it for the future. So the park had been owned by the Bambergers since the opening, and they didn't have the time
1: to keep it up after the war. Two brothers, uh, not from the American Adventure, two different brothers, David and Peter Freed, along with employee Ranch Kimball, no relation as far as we could tell. Uh, created the Utah Amusement Corporation and put down about $37,000 to lease the park in
0: 1945. So at the time, the park had only eight rides, including the coaster, the carousel, uh, the tilt-a-whirl, and the rockets over the lake. And they repainted the park using bright colors instead of the drab grays. And they worked on clearing the vegetation, adding uh, carp and stations for feed the fish around the, lake, the lagoon itself, and they slowly remodeled the park, but the profits just weren't there. So the Freed Brothers, finance company, and ranching uh, kept them and Kimball going. In 1947, Lagoon celebrated its golden anniversary on
1: Decoration Day, which is what we now call Memorial Day. They offered new rides including rocket ships, a modern mini steamliner, aqua ski boats, a ghost train ride, ooh, a tilt a whirl, and Telequiz, which was an arcade trivia game. Very, very odd. Um, Train train transportation would end in 1952 with the addition of new cement roads. And Lagoon added uh, new amusements every year, like a shooting gallery and a balloon race, and slowly began looking more like a carnival. A Ferris Ferris wheel was added in 1953. And later in that same year, a tragedy would strike Lagoon that it had managed to avoid for more than 50 years.
0: So, like many other amusement parks uh, of that era and of that kind, um, on Saturday, November 14th, 1953, Lagoon caught fire, and over $500,000 in damages were caused. Fortunately, most of the roller coaster and carousel were saved, um, but employees and firefighters sprayed the carousel with water for six hours straight to save it. So Lagoon was woefully uninsured, but the Freeds were determined to rebuild. And they took it as a way to create a new brand, a new new, brand-new Lagoon Park. The 1954 season saw 19 new attractions.
1: This included 12 games on the Midway, the Tilt-A-Whirl, Rock-A-Plane, Roll-A-Plane, because I guess you can't have a -a Rock-A-Plane without a -a Roll-A-Plane.
0: I guess not. Probably
1: not. An Octopus Ride and the Lakeshore Express Train. The roller coaster was rebuilt and offered new cars. Mother Goose Land and a showboat was added in 1959, and the showboat cruised Lagoon's Lake in search of an elusive dragon, sort of like that one that all the mommy bloggers saw.
0: <laughs> Why? No, or not. Why? Okay. Never mind. I didn't want to bring up any salt in, you know, anyway. So, so moving on, uh, the 1960s were a very turbulent time, and Lagoon was no exception to that. Because Lagoon was leased, the Freeds couldn't always do what they wanted. So Bob Freed and his brother were always champions of silver rights. So African-American families weren't allowed to use the dance pavilion or the swimming pool. And Bob wanted to fight that. This reminds me of Hairspray. I'm I'm seeing this already. (laughs) So um, (laughs) Pete was quoted in an article. It was so embarrassing. We'd see a nice black family in line for the pool looking as good or better than the other people in line. And then we had to go up to them and say, you can't go in. We tried to do something nice for them, like give them free food or free ride, but it was horrible, end quote. So
1: well ahead of the Civil Rights Act, Lagoon started allowing African American families to swim and dance. And in their own words, they just started letting them in. There was no big reaction. No one boycotted the park. Bob also received a
0: Human Rights Award from the NAACP
1: posthumously.
0: So in 1957, Lagoon saw a a, a million visits over the summer season, Uh, 1960 brought a Disneyland-like speedway to the park, and in 1961, the Space Scrambler, the Spook House or the Tunnel of Terror, uh, Fascination, Shooting Gallery, and IQ Zoo were also added. In 1963, Simon Bamberger, the founder of the park, was honored with a bus near the entrance. The rest of the 1960s would see the addition of more rides like a Steel Wild Mouse coaster, more Midway Games, the Terror Ride, Animal Land uh, Train, and the Lagoon Opera House.
1: And the 1970s saw a lot of growth. This included a Sky Ride, Dracula's Castle, a Himalayan Ride, and a wilder mouse coaster and a log flume. And one of the biggest changes was Pioneer Village. Lagoon spent over $2 million to move and restore 30 historic structures. A description of the Pioneer Village follows, quote, Take a stroll along rustic wooden sidewalks, get your picture taken in Old West apparel, or cool
0: off with a double scoop ice cream from the Pioneer Village ice cream parlor. So continuing the quote, um... Guns, slingshots, crossbows, and cannons, Pioneer Village is a reconstruction of a typical frontier community as it might have existed in the late 1800s. This community consists of 42 authentic 19th century stores and buildings, and the artifacts with which they may have been furnished. The village features one of the finest collections of small arms in the country, including guns, slingshots, crossbows, and cannons. The carriage hall features almost every type of wheeled conveyance used at the turn of the century.
1: Yeah. I'm glad they explained small arms. I had a completely different view of what that yeah, was. Yeah, me, me too. Yeah, me too. So, the the Jetstar 2 roller coaster opened that year as well. And it was also when the Lagoon Corporation was finally able, able to get the Bambergers to sell Lagoon to them. Uh, through the rest of the 1970s,
0: more rides were added to the park and several buildings to the Pioneer Village. So, jumping into the 80s and 90s, there were major additions all over the park, mostly thrill rides. Lagoon debuted season passes in 1980, and 17 attractions debuted during the decade, including the Colossal Fire Dragon, which was a steel looping coaster that's still running today. But the biggest news of the 1980s was the addition of Laguna Beach, where the old pool had been, and it included slides, play areas, a beach, and a rapids ride.
1: The 1990s uh, brought nine new attractions to the park, including another Steel Wild Mouse coaster and a special add-on called Top Eliminator. And this was an upcharge ride, you know, where they charged you extra money, that simulates a drag race with the guests working the gas pedals and shifting gears. Just, you know, once. So, uh,
0: Jeff, you should probably take the next entry in Lagoon's history. All right, I know. It might be too much for you. So here we go. So in 1995, based on the popularity of the haunted houses across the country, Ooh. and, you know, the, the, the pretty good fall weather in Utah, Lagoon started Frightmares. <sighs> so most of the park's rides, except the water rides, which I think is a lost cause, um, were yeah. open. But Dracula's Castle and Terror Ride were the center of Frightmares, along with a large group of spooky actors and actresses. But the kids weren't left out either. They created Spook-A-Boo in the covered area. This way, younger kids, and mostly George, uh, they could mm. still get candy and meet the park's regular costume characters, and not the scary ones.
1: Yeah. So, Lagoon meets the 21st century with 12 new rides in the first decade, and included our three brand new coasters. Yay. The Spider opened in 2003, and was actually North America's first spinning coaster. The Bat opened in 2005, and it's an inverted inverted steel family coaster, very similar to the Great Aerial Chase at Kings Island and Carowinds. And then Wicked opened in 2007, and is not the musical on a roller coaster, but is basically just
0: a steel launch coaster with a zero-g barrel roll. So, for this decade, Lagoon has continued its growth with four new attractions. Boom Bora is a steel family coaster, and Cannibal is the custom-made coaster that was done in-house. And it features the steepest drop in the US at 116 degrees, and a dual lift, uh, dual elevator lift. Over the years, Lagoon has also been featured in a few movies. Um, In the Disney Channel movie The Luck of the Irish in 2011, scenes were filmed in the Midway and the entrance of the skyscraper. In the 1962 horror film Carnival of Souls, it featured the funhouse with its shaking barrels and the undulating walkway and the spinning tunnel shown. Yeah,
1: so Lagoon isn't the oldest or the longest running amusement park in America but it is in the top 10 and Lagoon has an incredible history that really encompasses the opening of Disneyland and the civil rights movement. Uh, The carousel and the wooden roller coaster have been in continuous operation and are considered classics as well and you know there's not much time left, but we'd still love to know if you've had a chance to visit Lagoon or what you think about it. Give us a call on the GOAT line and maybe we can uh, put it on the next episode, hint hint. Give us a call on 424-785-4628. He's a nerd.
0: he's a, nerd. He's a, geek. He's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his feet. It's George's book of the week.
1: So this week's book is Catalyst. A Rogue One novel by James Luceno. And this book actually sits between Tarkin, which is another book by Luceno that we reviewed a while ago, and the upcoming Thrawn books in the Star Wars Del Rey timeline. I know I'm excited to bring the Thrawn back. And it's also saddled between Revenge of the Sith and the Rogue One film. Uh, I tried to stay away from all the spoilers for the Rogue One movie, but uh, I assumed that reading this novel wouldn't be too bad. And actually, you know, I did read the book before I saw the movie, and after watching Rogue One, I realized that reading Catalyst added a lot to the overall understanding of the film. There were a lot of points that were referenced in the book that came to fruition in the film. You know, it's not necessary to read it before the film, but it's definitely worth checking out. And you learn a lot of a certain Imperial's backstory um, and his dealings with uh, the Kyber Crystals and Tarkin. So, you know, Jeff and I are both fans of Luceno's other works. Tarkin. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tarkin was wonderful. It was a great look at uh, the career of Wilhuff Tarkin. And Catalyst does offer further insight into Tarkin in relation to the other characters of the, the newly formed Empire. And uh, the main character of Catalyst is Orson Krennic and Galen Erso. We see both of those in Rogue One. And Krennic is an engineer who's also a member of the Top Secret Death Star Project. Don't tell anybody. And Galen is a researcher and scientist. Who sort of uh, unwittingly brought into the project itself, and you know, Galen has been working with the Kyber crystals, which you know that's part of the Death Star weapon, and that there are points he just isn't quite sure what's going on, because he sees himself as like a pure researcher, and you know, Krennic spends some time manipulating other scientists and getting them to work on these projects for the good of the Empire, type. You know, motivational speech, that sort of thing. But when they start actually using kyber crystals from Jedi lightsabers, it sort of uh, bothers uh, Galen and his wife. So uh, about the book itself, it's it's a pretty dense political thriller. It, it does talk about ethics, has a lot of intrigue, a lot of machinations on different levels. The characters are tied well into the other novels, and now obviously the film Rogue One that we've seen it and you know it, it it does keep you on the edge of your seat even though you sort of know what's going to happen we know we're going to end up with a death star somehow you still don't know what's going to happen what is galen going to do battling his his conscience so to speak and you know I know Jeff and I talked about it a little bit uh, the book was good but it was
0: slow it, was it felt very, like and yeah, especially compared to it was talking. too long it was very long yeah. Where, and where Tarkin, yeah. I thought, moved along at a good pace and really did a great job with the backstory. I really felt like this one dragged in a lot of places. And, I mean, yeah. it, it's nothing against um, uh, the, the writing itself. I just feel like there were some some guidelines he had to do mm-hmm. and he was kind of stuck with what he had, so it wasn't as good as it could have been if he was, you know, free to go. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's, you know... It's good, it's just not Tarkin good.
1: Yeah, it's not what we expected. And it does, you know, parts of the beginning are confusing because Count Dooku is still alive in the beginning of the book. And it does jump around a little bit without giving you a lot of clues as to the time period. And it does, the Catalyst does end well before Rogue One, so there's some other time in there as well. Um, Like I said, I really like the fact that they brought Tarkin back in. You get another view of Tarkin. The more I read about him, the more I like him. Uh, he's a great character. And, you know, overall, I recommend it, especially going hand in hand with the Rogue One film. I'm glad I read it. Uh, I do recommend you read it because it'll give you a lot of insight into Orson Krennic and Tarkin and Galen and give you a better feel for the characters and what's happening. You know, because a uh, mini review of Star Wars Rogue One, it was like the first 45 minutes, I'm like, what? What is this?
0: Yeah, if so, you, I feel like if you didn't read the book, you might have been lost. a so, Because a lot of that information yes. flies out pretty quickly in the film. But this definitely yeah, but it's, gave me a deeper understanding of the plot line of Rogue One. Yeah. Even though I loved Rogue One, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. But yeah. this, this definitely deepened my knowledge and my appreciation for the film overall.
1: Exactly. So if you liked Rogue One or think about seeing it, definitely read Catalyst by James Luceno, It really will help. If it's a legend that you seek, Come on and take a peek at the window of the week.
0: This week's window is located in Tokyo Disneyland, and it reads, Miss Abigail Potter, dressmaker, day dresses, traveling suits, and party gowns. Now, Abigail Potter is actually the long-lost sister of Harry. Um, She did not get accepted into Hogwarts. I was going to ask. I know. Really? Crazy. Okay, that's pretty cool. We're just kidding. Um, Abigail Potter actually worked on the architecture of Cinderella Castle of Tokyo Disneyland, so she's still pretty important in Disney history.
1: And yeah, it sort of makes sense with uh, Cinderella, the dressmaker, traveling suits, party gowns. It's, exactly. It's a great exactly. tie It really is. Hogwarts Castle,
0: Cinderella Castle, same yeah, thing. It's all the same.
1: Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat.
0: So, there's this really cool tribute uh, to Roy O. Disney hidden in plain sight at the Disney theme parks, but no one really knows it. Um, But over in the Japan Pavilion at Epcot, there is a toro. Now, a toro is a stone lantern used to illuminate the grounds of Buddhist temples and such. Um, And there is a hollowed out top where a candle or oil lamp is placed. So, when the contract to make Disneyland happened uh, in Japan was signed, T- Tokyo Disneyland is what we mean, Emperor uh, Hirohoto presented a toro to Roy as a gift of thanks, and to light the way to success and happiness. And for years, it just kind of sat at the Polynesian, um, but when Epcot opened, it was moved to the Japan Pavilion, right opposite the structure at the entrance that was inspired by the, uh, 8th, um, excuse me, the 8th century pagoda. So, the tora, Toro has a deer on the side of the lantern that represents the famous Nara Deer Park adjacent to the shrine in uh, Nara, Japan. So next time you're in Epcot, uh, check it out, and I don't know if they still light it, but um, it's pretty cool.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. We we'll have to check that out. Um, yeah. So after the five-legged goat, I really had no good segue for
0: this at all. It's was like, ah, uh, yeah, I was wondering we'll how you're going to give do that you too, a but...
1: tribute. No, yeah. that's a different movie franchise. Yeah, if Somebody else is a tribute. Anyway, so uh, as Jeff mentioned at the top of the show, as much as we would love to have your comments, there's only a few days for you to leave us, you know, a voicemail. But there's also only a few days left to enter the Year of a Million or so, the Mid-Time Cadets Prize. Drawing and yeah, every year, as winner, yeah, the past two years, we've given away a prize every week. Sometimes it's been from us, sometimes it's been from Fairy Godmother Travel. We have to give them a big shout out. And um, just email if you still want to join or still want to enter at Weekly at gmail.com with your name and address. And yes, Jeff, take it away for this one.
0: So, this week's winner is going to get a Communicore Weekly prize pack, and the winner is. Carrie M. from Baltimore, Maryland. Hooray! Yay, glad to see the East Coast getting represented. Um, So,
1: again, a few more days by the time this comes out. But you gotta be quick. Mm -hmm. Send us an email. Okay, so thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly.
0: However you get the show, whether it's on YouTube, iTunes, leave us a comment, leave us a rating. We'd love to hear what you think. Mm -hmm. Email us again at
1: CommunicoreWeekly at gmail.com with a a comment, a bathroom photo, or just to say hello.
0: And you can also still like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Weekly. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm at Imagine Nerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And by the time you hear this, you probably have like two or three days left to give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628
1: and I think regardless the commuter store might be open for a while longer it'll be open forever
0: exactly so visit uh, Communicore Weekly and check out some of the incredible t-shirts and I'm gonna keep sending out uh, cadet membership cards if I still have them I'm running out though but uh, send a self-addressed stamped <laughs> envelope to um, Communicore Weekly P.O. Box 432 Orange, California 92856 alright so for Jeff Heimbuck I'm George Taylor and for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heinbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next week on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Fireworks.